This is the Southern Hills Church of God, and this is our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today. We hope this inspires you and guides you and builds your faith. God bless and enjoy this message. I'm starting a series today, and it's simply titled, You Don't Have What It Takes. Now you say, Pastor, why in the world would you be preaching something like that? You don't have what it takes. Because I want to be honest with you today and say that you don't have what it takes by yourself. In your own power, you don't have what it takes. In your own strength, you don't have the the willpower, the wisdom, the know-how to get through some of life's biggest troubles. You don't have what it takes. But I promise you this, with God, you can. You may not have what it takes by yourself, but through the loving power of Jesus Christ, you see, we have an enemy. Satan is our spiritual enemy, the evil one. The Bible calls him the prince of darkness, the great deceiver. His mission is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he wants to kill everything that matters to the heart of God. And he will even tell lies to hurt you, and he will manipulate the truth in order to hurt you. That's who he is. So I want to look at a couple different truths that God wants to use to set you free. But if manipulated, the enemy can use it against you. The the very first one that I want to talk about, it's very personal to me, and it's the truth, and it's this right here. You will never be good enough. No matter how hard you work to try to please God, you'll never be good enough to please God with your very best attempt at righteousness. The way this truth is often twisted and played out in our church world would go something like this. Well, I don't know that I know much about the Bible. So because I don't know about the Bible, I'm not going to use the gift that God's given me to teach. Because I'm not confident in my ability to sing, even though I know that I can sing, because I don't think that I'm good enough, I don't want to be up on stage to sing. Because I don't think that I'm very clear when I teach, I know God's given me the gift of teaching, but because I don't think that I'm good enough, I'm not going to teach. And that's how it plays out, the manipulation of the truth that you're not good enough. And that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to plant that seed into your mind that you cannot do it. You're not spiritual enough. Why would you serve if you can't do this? I want to be the bold Christian leader in my home that I want to be. I want to have the faith that I know that I'm supposed to have. But I always mess up. I'm not good enough. And that's the lie that the enemy wants to put in your head. And one of the things that I've had to recognize in order to be what God wants me to be in this life, I need to recognize that I will never be good enough. But in God's eyes, that's okay. That's okay because with Him, I am good enough. In my own power, I'm not good enough. But through Christ, I am good enough. You see, in God's eyes, He created me perfect. He created me without blemish. He created me just the way He wanted to create me. It's in man's eyes and in our own flesh that we tell ourselves that I can't do this because of this and I can't do this because of that. And we manipulate the truth even in our own mind to say that we can't do it because we tell ourselves I am not good enough. Well, Pastor, there are stories in the Bible about these 
people of the faith, the greatest leaders in scriptures that felt the same way. Absolutely. Genesis chapter 18. Watch this. It, it will be up on your screen. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though what? I am nothing but dust and ashes. You have Abraham who, who was given the ability to speak, yet he felt like he was nothing. You have Isaiah chapter 6. It says, Woe to me, I cried, for I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the king. He said, I'm not even worthy to be in the presence of God because I am not good enough. You have Luke chapter 5 who says, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said what? Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. He says, I'm not good enough to be in the presence of God. These are people that we've read about. These are people that we have preached about. We have another one where it says, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, watch what it says, the worst of sinners. We have these giants of the faith that said, I am not good enough. I know I've got Christ. I know he lives in me. I know that he's there to help me. I know all of this. But in my flesh, I'm telling you, I don't think I can do it. Jesus came to save the sinner. And he's saying, I am the worst of them all. But let me tell you something that can free you. Because it did me when it says in Romans chapter 3, it says, for how many people sinned? All have sinned. That's what the Bible says in Romans 3. For all have sinned and what? They fell short of the glory of God. That gives me confidence that I'm not the only one. That gives me encouragement to say that I'm not the only one that's been in that boat. I'm not the only one that's bought that shirt, okay? I, I am not good enough. But story after story we read of people in the Bible who said they didn't feel like they are good enough. Felt nothing in the presence of an almighty God. We fall short of God sometimes and what he wants for us. And for so many of us, that's when the enemy pokes and he prods. When he starts to put things in your mind by saying you're not good enough, he takes the truth and he uses it in a way to bring condemnation to your life. And many of us slip into that trap and we believe the lies of the enemy. We take on this idea that if only I could be just a little bit better. And I think that's why I'm OCD a lot of times because I feel like it has to be perfect. Because if it's not just the way I want it, that means that I've messed up. If it's not just the right way that it should be, then there must be something wrong with me. And we begin to feel this false sense of pride when we're doing well. And we sink into this trap when we're not doing well. The Apostle Paul lived under this pressure. He lived under the pressure. And I want to show you the trap that very easily entangles us. Watch this. It's up on your screen. It says, Though I myself have reasons for such confidence... If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day. Now let's stop there. What's that even mean? Why does that matter? You see, in that culture, you had to be circumcised to be saved, which was really bad if you found out later on in life, okay? They felt like you had to be that in order to, to be saved. And so what he's saying, he's, he's saying, look, I'm better than every one of you. He said, if I have a reason in my flesh to say that I am a better, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Ha, ha, ha. 
And that's kind of the mindset that, that he kind of gave there. And then he went on to say, and you know what? I've even been born in a pure-blooded Jewish home that is a branch of the tribe of Benjamin. What he basically said was, in today's world, my dad was um, a Billy Graham and my mom was, my, was Mother Teresa. He said, I am the greatest of all greatest. I am, I was born in this perfect home, right? I come from the greatest spiritual line you could ever imagine. Then he goes on to say of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, he says, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, he said, I'm it. He said, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, have no fault. He said, I'm that. If in my flesh anybody has a reason to say I am good enough, it's me. And that's kind of what he's saying here. He said that I harshly persecuted the church and I obeyed the Jewish law so carefully that I was never accused of any fault. And see, that statement right there was a blow-away statement because what he was really saying was, y'all had about 10 commandments. I had over 600 and I didn't mess up a single one of them. And that's kind of the mindset that he was going for there. So he said, if there's anyone who has reason to put confidence in their works, I do. So how does that play out in our world today? We see this trap that if we don't meet a standard that we set ourselves, then we fall into this trap. How do we get into that trap? Number one, if you're, if you're um, taking notes, because... I think that I please God by rules. And I'm not talking about God rules. I'm talking about man-made rules. I'm talking about rules that I've set for myself that if I don't pray seven days a week and I don't read my Bible seven days a week, then I have let God down. And we get into this mindset that if I'm not everything that God has created me to be, then the world is over. Everything is over. I'm not good enough and I can't do it. If I have a sin in my life that I just can't seem to get over and there's a day where I'm weak and I fall trapped to that sin, I'm no longer good enough to be in the eyes of God. But let me tell you something, church. Sin, yes, is bad and we need to be washed clean of that sin. But His grace is good enough to cover you even when you don't feel like you're worth it. Amen. His grace is there for you. Well, I must be okay with God because I read my Bible today. I must be okay with God because I prayed today. I must be okay with God because I served in church or I gave money. And I witnessed to somebody that one time because as long as you do it once, we're good, right? So I must be okay with God because of what I do. But then we remember based on the Bible that I'm not saved based on good works. That I'm saved because of my relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not my good works that gets me to heaven. It's the fact that I love Jesus and Jesus loves me. That's it. So we get in this trap, this second area that we can fall into this trap. And this has hit me personally. And that's why this is so important to me. And that's when we start to believe that our worth, what we are worth, is based on what we produce. We believe that our value and our worth with God, or even with other people, is based on how we perform. As a kid, I practiced baseball so much because I felt in a sense that my worth was based on how I did on the field. And I practiced and I practiced and I practiced. Why? Because I wanted my dad to be happy with me. And I practiced and I got good. And, and I'd be just uh, not like a major league type player, but I came, 
I became a decent player because I worked hard at, at it, but I worked hard because I felt like that's where my value was. Same thing as pastoring a church. Some, some, sometimes I get up from um, behind this pulpit and I look out in the crowd and if there's not a lot of people, I must have done something wrong. If people didn't amen and shout hallelujah and dance down the aisles, I must have done something wrong. And that's the trap that we put ourselves in because we feel like that if I don't come to this list of man-made rules that I have made up for myself, then I have let God down. And that's a trap. It's a lie of the enemy. He doesn't care if two people, that's why the Bible says where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. It doesn't matter to him if you have a house of two or a church of 2,000. He's there because he loves you. Amen. And what Paul is going to say next is everything that you need to know about life. He's telling these people that I had better performance than anybody. If anybody could have been good enough, it was me. But then he goes in chapter 3, verse 7, and it gets to the good part. He said, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for what? The sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, he said, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. It's not by works, but it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that works through us that gets us to where we want to go. Amen. He said, whatever was to my profit... I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared. Look at that. I, everything to me is a loss compared to the goodness of Jesus. Now he's talking about works and he says, I consider them garbage. I consider them trash. He said, I might have a reason to say that I'm good enough, but I'm here to tell you I'm not good enough, but in Christ I am good enough. It's not about what I can accomplish on this earth, but it's about what He can accomplish through me. That matters. You see, I can never work my way to please God. I can never stop sinning my way to please God. The only way I could be made right with God is by my faith and relationship with His Son, Jesus. It's not Jesus plus good works. It's not Jesus plus religious efforts. It's not Jesus plus no sin. Let me tell you something, church. It's just Jesus. That's it. I can't be good enough. The enemy wants to manipulate that and tell you that that's the truth. But that very same phrase God will use to encourage your spirit. By saying, look, Chris, you're not good enough. But trust in me. And all things are possible. You know, and I'll give you an example. My wife and I are typically pretty tight with money or 
I'm really tight with money. And uh, we, we like to eat sometimes, and we go out and we get what we have to get. But I'm very uh, picky on where, uh, where um, the penny goes, right? Well, we decided to go out to eat. This has been many, many, many years ago, not for any special occasion. We didn't have any kids at the, uh, at the time. The kids were with grandparents, so we decided to have a no-kids date night out, right? And all the parents said, Amen. And so we were out having dinner, and I didn't order what I wanted. I, I, I ordered only what I could afford at the time. And so uh, didn't get the eight-ounce steak. only got the six, okay? So we sat down, and we ate, and it came time to pay the bill. And the bill came, and I was getting my card out ready to pay and just diminish and deplete everything that was in our bank account. And the waitress said, the bill's been paid. I said, what are you talking about? He said, yeah, there was a couple that just decided to pay the, the, the bill. It's been paid. And in that moment, I realized there was nothing that I could do to deserve or earn what that person did for me. That bill at some point had to be paid. And I was willing to pay it if it meant everything that I had. But somebody else said, I'm going to pay the bill for you. And don't you know, church, that that's exactly what Jesus did for you. That there was a price that had to be paid. There was a debt that had to be paid. There was something that somebody was going to have to give for the sins of this world and come into Jesus into a world of sin. And he says, hold up a minute. I don't want you to have to use your money. I'm going to go in and I'm going to pay the debt for you so that you don't have to. And that's what he did. You see, sometimes... In this life, what I have is garbage compared to the goodness and the greatness of Jesus Christ. There are times when I could probably pay the debt. I don't want to pay the debt. I know what it will cost. But Jesus comes in and says, hey, let me help you. You're not good enough to pay that debt. I'm good enough to pay that debt. Let me help you pay, 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 pay that debt. You're, you might not be good enough, but when I step in, when I step in, you are good enough. You are good enough. You see, there's this phrase that I think we get wrong a lot of times. And the correct way of saying it is found in um, Galatians chapter 1. And it starts out by saying, but when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles my immediate response was not to consult any human being go back to that first where it says but when God we like to replace that phrase and say but when I but when I am good enough then I can make a difference but when I get more understanding in God's word, I can teach the Bible. When I get my prayer life where it needs to be, then I can be a leader. When I get the sin out of my own life that's been bothering me for so long, then I'll be able to make a, um, a difference. When I get my marriage handled and straightened out, then I can be a role model for my kids. When I do this, when I do that, and that's the lie that Satan wants to put in your mind, thinking that you have the power on your own to make it happen. You see, it doesn't matter sometimes about I, I, I. But the verse says, but when God, 
who set me apart. You see, because it's not about my power, it's about His power that's working through me. Because that same lie that the enemy wants to put in me, now all of a sudden becomes good news. The pressure is off. It's not up to me to try to do it. It's for Christ to do it through me. So wherever you're weak, that's when His strength is made perfect, right? But when God calls you, it doesn't matter what other people think. When God forgives you, it doesn't matter about your past being brought up because you have been forgiven. When God empowers you, no man can stop you. When God heals you, it doesn't matter what the doctor says. But when God does it, that's it. You see, we have this, this sense of pride that if I can do this, I can make it. And we get trapped in that statement. But when I, but when I, but we should be changing our perspective as saying, but when God. I want to share a story for about the last five to six minutes here. On what we can do when we don't feel good enough. When as a parent, I don't feel good enough to parent my own children. That as a spouse, I don't feel good enough to my wife. When I don't feel good enough as a pastor. This is, this is the key. And it's in two words. 17 inches. 17 inches. I want to read you this and tell you how important this is in my life. 25 years ago. Nashville, Tennessee, this was 1996, more than 4,000 baseball coaches came to the Opperland Hotel for the 52nd American Baseball Coaches Association Convention. Say that 10 times fast. While I waited in line to register with the hotel staff, I heard other more veteran coaches rumbling about the lineup of speakers Scheduled to present during the weekend. One name kept coming up, Coach John. Well, who's Coach John? Who is this guy? I, it really didn't matter. I was just happy to be there. 1996, Coach John was 78 years old. Five years retired from coaching college ball. He shuffled to the stage to an impressive o o o o o ovation from the crowd. Wearing dark polyester pants, light blue shirt, a string around his neck from which hung a home plate. I wondered, who is this guy <laughs> that came in with his home plate around his neck? Coach John appeared to notice some people kind of talking and snickering, and even those who knew Coach John had to wonder exactly where he was going with this or if he simply forgot about this home plate prop that was around his neck. Then... He asked the question, you're probably wondering why I'm wearing a home plate around my neck. I laughed with everybody else acknowledging the possibility that people may think that I'm crazy. He said, I may be old, but I'm not crazy. The reason I stand before you today is to share with you baseball people what I've learned in my life about the home plate. Seven four hands went up when Coach John asked all the Little League coaches that were there in the room, do you know how wide home plate is? They yelled, 17 inches. Another pause. He said, how about in Babe Ruth's day? How, how wide was home plate during Babe Ruth's day? They said, well, 17 inches. 
Now, how many high school coaches do we have in the room? How, how, how wide is a home plate in high school? Well, 17 inches. How many minor league coaches are out there? How wide is home plate? 17 inches. How many pro ball coaches do we have out there? How wide is home plate? 17 inches. 17 inches, he confirmed his voice bellowing off the walls. And what do they do with a big league pitcher who can't throw the ball over 17 inches? What they don't do is say, well, since you can't do it, let's just make it 18 or 19. If you can't do it, let's just make it about 25 so it's easier for you. All of the chuckles in the room began to fade as he began to say, and when the best player shows up late to practice, or if he gets caught doing something against the rules, do you hold him accountable, or do you just widen the plate to fit what's going on? He goes on to say, in this message, when he turned the plate towards himself, and he used the marker and he began to draw a door and windows on this home plate. And he said, this represents your home. Too many times in our government, in our, our schools, and in our churches, and in our home lives, we don't hold accountable to the things that we should, and we keep widening home plate. He says in those moments where you don't feel like you're good enough to make it to the big leagues, when you don't feel like you're good enough, what we want to do is we want to widen the, the home plate to make it easier for us. Let's create this set of rules that I can live by so that I can feel good about myself. Let's widen home plate in our government and create laws and policies that are against the word of God. Let's widen home plate in our schools and take prayer away from the, and the, which could be the very thing that keeps it held together. Let's, let's widen the plate at home and allow things in our marriage that shouldn't be there. Let's widen the plate at home and allow our kids to do whatever they want to do. That's not how life works. The home plate, whether we want to believe it or not, at any level of baseball is 17 inches. It will never change. The word of God is our 17 inches. It will never change. It will not be widened to fit the narrative of this world. It will not be widened so it can just fit what we want it to say. I can't take the scriptures out of the holy word of God and make them say anything different than what they say. I cannot widen home plate to fit my narrative. But rather, I must take it for what it is and say that is my Andrew, that is how I will live my life. That's how I will parent my children. That's how I will live in my house. And that's how I will pastor my church. 17 inches. So he goes on to say, don't justify sin by widening the plate. Because when you allow Satan an inch to get in your mind, that phrase of I'm not good enough that Jesus uses to encourage you, Satan himself will manipulate it to make you think that you're worthless and that you're not valued. Why am I preaching this today? 
Because I want to tell all the children that are in this room, you don't have to widen your plate. The pressure to fit under a certain mold, to fit in with the in crowd, it's not worth it. It's not worth it to widen your plate and lose your salvation into Jesus Christ. I want to tell you what this Bible says is true and it's powerful. It's active and it's living. The Bible says what it says. Don't widen the plate. God, I thank you.